This is home, Ghana, otherwise known as Kainai, or the Blood Reserve. Nestled in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, Kainai is the largest reserve in Canada. Beginning in 2014, fentanyl flooded the illicit drug trade on the reserve. This new reality has forced our community to approach addiction in radically different ways. Hello. The difficulty was in convincing people that harm reduction is the route that we have to take. By no means is it celebrating addiction, but what it does is it celebrates the lives of people without judgment. Our group here is looking at expanding what we have to do to help our community heal. Save a life. It's very heart-wrenching when you go on a call and people are breathless. And we can't sit back and expect things to change without doing the work. Trying to get off these oxidators by yourself, it's hard. The next thing we want to do is address a detox facility on reserve. We're joined on Moving Radio today by the writer, director, and producer of the documentary film Jima Bitsen. The Meaning of Empathy. It opens at the Metro Cinema on Friday, November 19th, and writer-director-producer Elimaya Tailfeathers is our guest. Thanks for joining us in the program today. Okay, thanks for thanks for having me. Maybe, can you just talk to us a little bit about how the film puts a face on the issues of addiction, as well as the community members that are active in addiction recovery, um, as well as the first responders and medical professionals, as they try to implement uh, harm reduction to save lives. When I started this film, I had a very novice understanding of what harm reduction is and what it actually looks like in practice. And so I had to do a lot of learning and research and that learning involved listening to and speaking with people who work on the front lines and also learning from people who actually live with substance use disorder or addiction. What I learned very early on is that so often people who actually live with substance use disorder with you know, that lived experience are left out of the conversation when it comes to talking about solutions. And so I, I recognized that those voices absolutely needed to be centered in this film. It's so important that we listen to the voices of people with that lived experience because they know what the barriers are, they know what their needs are, and they know what the reality is for people who live with substance use disorder. And so I, I made an effort to, to center those voices, to find people from within the community who were willing to share their stories. And I wanted to be able to humanize these voices because so often people with substance use disorder are, are framed from a, you know, a very stigmatized perspective wherein we're focused on trauma and tragedy and uh, often their stories are exploited or sensationalized. And so I wanted audiences to see them from a human perspective um, and to understand them through a human lens. And so that was sort of the effort in, in telling those stories. Um, but I also felt like it was so important that audiences were able to witness the important work of so many people from within my community who are on the front lines of this crisis and who are actively fighting for solutions and, and just doing countless hours of, of unpaid labor to, to save lives and to save our community. You know, I know it's, it's tough for us to translate this into an interview like this. Um, when people haven't seen it yet, if they're listening to this before the 19th, and 
what I think struck me the most is just how powerful this film is. And it's incredible how many different things you cover just in two hours. So maybe another piece of this film is that it's kind of contextualized within the historical and contemporary impacts of settler colonialism. It's an element of the film that breaks down the reality of crimes committed by the Canadian government from the time of its inception. Can you discuss how the film draws a connecting line between the effects of colonial violence on Blackfoot land and the people and the ongoing substance use crisis? I think it's impossible to tell the story of Indigenous people on substance use disorder without thinking about this legacy of colonialism and, and what has gotten us to this point. It's, it's not like someone wakes up one day and decides they want to become someone with an addiction. The reality is, is that, you know, people are living with a lot of trauma from, from this legacy of colonialism, from residential schools, from the 60s scoop, from the ongoing, you know, child welfare crisis. People are facing immeasurable barriers when it comes to poverty and housing. And, you know, racism is so deeply embedded within Canadian society. So there's, there's a lot of issues that, that Indigenous people are facing on a daily basis. And, um, and, and that's what leads many people to, to addiction or substance use disorder. And I think uh, so often settlers forget that. And there's this very kind of gross racialized stigma that that indigenous people face when it comes to substance use disorder and the the human element is left out um, and and people with substance use disorder are are dehumanized and so i think it's important for people to understand that history and that legacy and the ongoing issues that indigenous people face um, in order to understand like really what it is that people with substance use disorder are, are up against because it's a lot and we didn't create this problem, but we're finding the solutions from within our communities. We're speaking to writer, director, producer, Elimaya Tailfeathers about the documentary Jima Bitsin, The Meaning of Empathy. You can catch it at the Metro Cinema on Friday, November 19th. This film is such a personal journey, I thought, in several different ways because, you know, uh, your mother is a significant part of this film and your grandparents even uh and um and, you know my uh my heart goes out to you i, I read at the very end about uh, what happened to grandfather so i'm very sorry are they're both part of this and the story of your cousin uh, I, I felt like for myself that's when this film takes on another aspect that maybe many other filmmakers couldn't approach or maybe even possibly articulate you know, was there any consideration on your part to keep those those kind of personal connections at arm length, or did you feel like it was incredibly necessary to do that? Yeah, initially, I didn't. I didn't really feel like I should be part of the film in that aspect. Um, but then we lost my cousin to to an overdose uh, about a a year into making the film, um, and so then the story became personal on that level. And so, as a community member, I felt compelled to share our family's story, especially because there were so many people sharing their own personal stories and experiences. And I thought it was necessary to, to share that experience and, and the grief that our family is living with. And also uh, share the, the difficulty in knowing that shame and stigma is what killed my cousin. You know, the pain that she lived with um, that led her to the addiction is, is what killed her. And had we, understood that from the perspective that, you know, that I, that I understand now, 
um, she, she'd probably still be around today. And I think harm reduction could have saved her life. And so I just wanted audiences to understand that, you know, harm reduction does save lives. It's not necessarily the answer to this whole crisis, but, but you know, harm reduction is, is so important in that aspect. Like we, 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 we can't offer someone the opportunity to recover if they're not alive to begin with. And so I wanted audiences to understand that, to understand the pain and the reality of grief, um, to understand it from my family's perspective and to understand why people like my mother are doing the work that they do because it, it is a matter of saving our own family members' lives and our community's lives. And, um, and it's, it's integral to the survival of our community. Yeah, and I mean, you know, hopefully this film will have a small part in opening up some eyes towards that. People like myself maybe know a little bit about an issue like this, but I, this is where I think the film succeeds in that it opens the door so much further and, and it really puts a much more uh, specific face on it. And particularly when we're talking about a community that is just in Southern Alberta, you know, but uh, I, I know that that can be a parallel to so many other communities around Canada. How did you end up preparing yourself to be immersed in the stories of all these people and your own personal story that uh, you tell in this film to people that are addicted to fentanyl and other things that, that you speak to knowing that it's kind of impossible to help everyone you speak to? Because, I mean, that's something that you even address about healthcare professionals, not just necessarily people that are dealing with addictions. How did you kind of prep yourself in going through this? Because I'm, I'm sure it must have been incredibly difficult. I was just so incredibly humbled and proud of my community and all of the work that's happening there. And was also just so profoundly moved by the strength of people who are in recovery and people who are actively battling substance use disorder. And so I just felt so honored to be able to document their stories. Surprisingly, a lot of people wanted to share their stories. Um, and it's an incredible vulnerable position to be in to share, to share your own personal story. So I was just so honored to be able to document those stories and to witness the incredible acts that happen in my community every day. And so there were literally hundreds of people from my community who contributed in some capacity to this film. And ultimately, over 50 people end up on screen in front of the camera. And so I wanted audiences to understand that this is a, you know, this is a community story. And there are so many people within the community that are contributing to solutions in one way or another. And also that people living with substance use disorder are not on this journey alone. Um, they have families who are impacted by this and, and our entire community is impacted by this. So it was really a matter of being able to, trying to be able to convey that this is an entire community story and that there isn't one single lived experience or one single solution, but that there are so many people who have a story to tell and so many people who are contributing to finding solutions. The film we're discussing today is a documentary, Gemma Bitson, The Meaning of Empathy. Um, it opens at the Metro Cinema on Friday, November 19th. Uh, I highly suggest you go and check it out. Elimea, there is another moment in the film that I felt like took another turn for me emotionally. And that's when you kind of go to Lethbridge specifically and walk the streets with the volunteers that are there to help anyone who, who needs it. And I've just felt like it kind of encapsulated things that are happening that so many of us who are going to be sitting in a theater or watching this film 
will never actually see or never get to really connect to. Can you talk just a little bit about how yourself and your editor, Hans Olsen, find a kind of a balance and a rhythm in this film in order to kind of tell the story of these people weaving your own stuff? Because it seems like there is, it's, it's not dense in a bad way. It's dense in a way that it's kind of almost a crash course in what's happening on the streets. Talk just a little bit about, you know, all the footage you had and how you and Hans Olsen maybe kind of negotiated that to get the rhythm and tone of the film correct in the way that you wanted it to be. Hans Olsen, who's Edmonton-based, is is one of the most sensitive people I've ever met in my life, and in in a in a really wonderful way. Um, and so he and I spent, I think, close to a year editing the film. I mean, the pandemic kind of interrupted things and slowed things down for us. It was a very rigorous process of 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 trying to land on whose voices would tell specific parts of the story. And at one point, our rough cut was like five hours long and. It was certainly a challenge. Uh, the, the film took on many shapes and forms and Hans is just a, a wonderful human being who has like a real, uh, a real sense for story. And so he, he was able to really help me make these decisions in terms of what moments to prioritize and, and, and which moments were the most powerful in terms of needing to go on screen because we had hundreds of hours of footage and we, I worked on this film for five years so it was just a real challenge trying to like narrow it down and condense it into two hours so yeah working with Hans was was wonderful he's he's one of Edmonton's finest <laughs> and uh, he's he's done some incredible work on, on other on other films but in terms of uh, witnessing the work of the Sage Clan in Lethbridge, they're, uh, they are a volunteer-run organization. Um, they're founded by Blackfoot people um, who go and, and, and support people who are vulnerable on the streets of Lethbridge. They live and work by the value of Gimabibitsin. So Gimabibitsin is a Blackfoot value that means to, to give kindness to others, to have empathy. And I think it's also a, a tool for survival. It's what's gotten our people through so much is, is just the capacity for love and empathy for one another and for our community. And I think that the Sage Clan truly enact Gimabibitsin every day in their work um, because, you know, the people who are vulnerable on the streets of Lethbridge are, are treated as less than human because they live with addiction or substance use disorder and because they're indigenous and poor. And so they exist on the margins of a place that just is so hostile towards them. And the Sage Clan offers dignity and humanity to them every day uh, without judgment. And I think that, you know, they are the essence of, of Gimabi Bitsen in their work and their kindness. And um, yeah, it was just wonderful to be able to, to show people, you know, the, the work of, of the Sage Clan and, and this is what Gimabi Bitsen is and this is what dignity and empathy look like. Um, and yeah, so it, I think that's a really special moment in the film. And I feel like I could have made a whole film about just the Sage Clan. Yeah, I, you know, we've been fortunate enough to talk to uh, Hans Olsen, who we were referring to before on this program as well. Did you get connected with him through Tasha Hubbard or or did you know him from before? Yeah, um, well, 
I, uh, th this film is a co-production with the National Film Board. Yeah. And early on in the film, we actually, uh, my producer at the film board, uh, David Christensen, um, he and I decided to make a series of short films uh, from the footage that we'd captured to be of use to the community. So we made uh, a number of short films that were really just like to encourage dialogue, to, to be teaching tools within the community. Um, they weren't meant to be, you know, shown at festivals or anything like that. And Hans is the one who, who edited those shorts. Um, and so David introduced me to Hans. And at the time he was, he was editing Birth of a Family, Tasha Hubbard's uh, second documentary. And then he moved on to editing uh, Nipawistamasawin, We Will Stand Up. And when I saw Nipawistamasawin, I just knew you know, this, this editor has the kind of heart and integrity and eye for story that, that I need uh, in my documentary. And Tasha only had kind things to say about him. So yeah, I think working with Hans also gives me hope in terms of settler and indigenous relationships in this country, because, you know, it can be really challenging to be an indigenous person and to, to witness the sort of violence that our people face in this country every day in terms of racialized violence. Um, but it's people like Hans and, and, you know, many other settlers on my crew who gave me hope that, you know, there are people with empathy and understanding and people who want to do things in a better way um, and who want to repair this relationship that is broken in many ways. And so working with Hans was, was wonderful in that aspect as well. Yeah, the film we've been talking about today is Gima Bitsen, The Meaning of Empathy. Um, it's going to start screening at the Metro Cinema on Friday, November 19th. Uh, I encourage you to go check it out. It is uh, well worth your time in that it's informative. Uh, it's heartbreaking. It's it's something that will kind of open up your mind to some an experience that maybe you you under you thought you understand, but we really didn't. And this is just one step in maybe kind of learning and and gaining a little bit more empathy towards people uh, who are truly struggling and where that comes from. I want to congratulate you on the film. It's pretty incredible. I mean, you've already had an incredible year. Let's be honest here. The body remembers when the world broke open pretty amazing film on top of that so it's like oh my gosh Elmea, you've had an amazing year that's for sure so congratulations on all that and this film our guest today on moving radio has been elimaya tailfeathers the writer director and producer of the brand new documentary jima bitson the meaning of empathy it opens at the metro cinema on friday november 19th so make sure you get down there to check it out thank you thank you so much History marks the Bloods as some of the fiercest, strongest people there ever was. And I want us to get to that point again. I'm happy for you. We have a Blackfoot word that's called Gimabibitsin, which means giving kindness to each other. And that means also compassion for those who are suffering. It's an amazing thing that they've done. And in my eyes, they're heroes. <laughs> 